0: Now the Buddha gives the opposite kind of similes that how Mara finds no opportunity to support a person, how there's no way that Mara as the temptation can get in, and that is when one does practice mindfulness of the body. When one knows what one is doing, so he is using a simile. Suppose there were a wet, sappy piece of wood and a man came with an upper fire stick thinking, I shall light a fire, I shall produce heat. What do you think? Would the man light a fire and produce heat by taking the upper fire stick and rubbing the wet, sappy piece of wood with it? No, venerable sir. So, too, when anyone has developed and repeatedly practiced mindfulness of the body, Mara finds no opportunity of supporting him. (coughs) Repeatedly practiced is um, probably the, the key word in here. Not just once or twice or three times, but repeatedly, which means over and over and over. Suppose there were a water pot full of water brimming so that crows could drink out of it. Standing on a stand, And ma- a man came with a load of water. What do you think? Would he be able to pour water into it? No, venerable sir. So too, when anyone has developed and repeatedly practiced mindfulness of the body, Mara finds no opportunity of support in him. Can't. The temptation <coughs> cannot enter if mindfulness is practiced. when we are mindful of the temptation and we have developed concentration through the meditation the mind has the strength to drop the temptation now it is possible even with mindfulness that the temptation arises but it need never take a hold of one to the point where the desire becomes overriding. So, the mindfulness is that which makes it clear that it has a rhythm, and the strength of the mind through concentration makes it possible to let go of it. The more strength the mind has, the quicker it can let go of it. When anyone has developed and repeatedly practiced mindfulness of the body, then he attains the ability to be a witness through a realization by direct knowledge of any Dhamma realizable by direct knowledge to which he inclines his mind whenever there is opportunity. I'm just trying to see whether we had this paragraph already. I don't, I don't see it. No. Uh, to to attain the ability to be a witness means to be an objective observer. The objective observer is one who witnesses what goes on within. You become a witness of that which is happening with the body and by the same token we become a witness of the fact that the temptation might have arisen we become a witness of all the things that we consist of a witness is an objective observer one who is not personally involved but is just there to tell what's going on obviously it takes some time to watch oneself in a way that where one isn't personally involved But at least watching can be done. And to be a witness through realization by direct knowledge. The realization of direct knowledge, it means two things. The first thing that it means, and which is the terminology always used, it means enlightenment. Direct knowledge of enlightenment but we can also see it in this way it's the understood experience the the knowledge the directness of the knowledge means that we have an experience the uh, knowledge in this case is not information the knowledge in this case is not just knowing something but it's direct which means it is an experience and because it is known we've understood it we can have any number of experiences if we don't understand them they're useless in fact everybody has constant experiences and hardly anybody understands them see now when we walk and everybody walks and I'm not talking about walking I'm talking I mean about just walking everybody has the mind is telling the body to walk. There are very few people who ever ever become aware of that. We have constant experiences. And because we don't become aware of them, we have no mindfulness, we have no interior um, realizations of what's happening. All these experiences are totally useless. They have no impact at all. We just keep on doing the same old things over and over again that we've always done. Now, as we walk and we become aware of what's going on, we can realize that the mind has had an intention to walk and that the body follows, which is an understood experience, which is the direct knowledge. Now, the terminology of direct knowledge does mean enlightenment, but I'm using it to explain how to get there to have the understanding of what's going on now when we watch our breath and we can see that it's impermanent most people just breathe because the body has to breathe most people never even pay attention to the fact that they're breathing very few people in the world that pay attention to the fact that they're breathing in fact I would say that none of us have ever paid attention to the fact that we're breathing until we were told to watch the breath in order to meditate. The fact that we're breathing and that that is the only way we can stay alive escapes everybody. And the fact that this breath which we're using is completely impermanent, constantly changing, and that it has to be so in order to stay alive and that if it weren't so we would be dead and that that means that our total being is something that's in constant flux would be an understood experience well who does it until unless one is told to look and even then it doesn't really sink in. It takes a long time to sink in. Interesting isn't it? We're all breathing. It's completely impermanent and everybody thinks they're so solid and all the things that they have in their lives have to be made solid and nothing is solid. It's constantly changing. It's all flowing away and in flux. So the understood experience is the only experience that has any value at all. We can have experience after experience and it will be totally valueless unless we really see it for what it is. (coughs) And very few people do and that's why humanity and the world that humanity lives in is in the mess it is in. One shouldn't be at all uh, ever be surprised about that it's surprising that we are surprised that's the only surprise <laughs> it's totally normal that's the way it is so we have to have direct knowledge now through realization by direct knowledge the word realization word means that we have finally realized what's really going on and it means the attainment of nirvana the direct knowledge is the understood experience the realization means the the completeness of seeing mm-hmm. the way things really are the Buddha says when one has developed and repeatedly practiced mindfulness of the body in fact in the Satipatthana Sutta, of which this is only um, a part, well, it's a sutta in itself, this one here, but it only talks about body. The Satipatthana Sutta talks about all of the, the other three foundations also. At the end of the Satipatthana Sutta, the Buddha says that if one is really mindful for seven days, one's going to be enlightened. We've been sitting here for six weeks. Um, but the thing is, it means constant mindfulness. Now, most people remember mindfulness twice a day, three times a day, four times a day. I doubt it. (laughs) Mindfulness means be doing nothing else with the mind except watching what the body is doing. Because the mind has told the body to do it. And now to be with that completely, it's not so easy as it sounds because the mind isn't used to doing that. But it's not as difficult as one might think because it's extremely peaceful and relaxing. If anybody really practices it, it's extremely peaceful. The whole world has disappeared The only thing that exists is the movement of the hand or the movement of the foot or the movement of whatever. doesn't matter whatever it is, there's always something moving, even if it's only the heartbeat. It's certainly moving and the breath is moving. But hearing this and doing it miles apart, isn't it? Because the mind just doesn't have that real desire to do that it has a desire for everything else but not for that interesting isn't it it just has all sorts of desires but doesn't have a desire for that so we have to constantly tell it to have that desire to please go and be mindful and then tell it again and again and again and to understand what it means to be mindful. It means to have nothing else in the mind except having the mind full of that what's really happening, which is movement. Mind full. Full mind. The word is quite explicit. It says exactly what it is. so we have the ability to be a witness through realization by direct knowledge of any Dhamma realizable, realizable any Dhamma, any phenomena any phenomena at all that is that can be realized by direct knowledge to which one inclines the mind well, whenever there is opportunity and this has come actually full circle Because to be, uh, to realize, to direct knowledge, any phenomena, means enlightenment. And all the suttas, well, perhaps not all, but most of the suttas of the Buddha start with a very ordinary thing of practice and go all the way to enlightenment. And within that ordinary way of practice, there's the explanation of how to do it and then comes the enlightenment so what we have looked at here is that we have the way to meditate calm and insight the different methods and then the jhanas and this only goes to the fourth jhana and then being mindful of the body through the whole a sutra, and coming to the, to having repeatedly practiced it, so that we come to the ability to see things as we really are, and not like we would like them to be. We have this very um, absurd idea that we could fix the world the way we like it. I I I know that everybody has it. It's quite amazing that that one because we are intelligent beings that we can't see without the Buddha telling us that it's an impossibility we want to fix things we want to have life when death is obvious, we want to have other people to act the way we want them to act absurdity we don't even act the way we want to act. How can other people do it? I mean, we'd love to be mindful all day long. What do we do? Forget all about it, obviously. So now we want other people to do things that we want them to do. The whole thing is so absurd that one wonders why it ever came about. But it comes about, and this is going to come in this sutta in a minute, comes about because we don't pay attention we don't pay any attention most people just don't pay attention it's a it's a lack of clarity in the mind which comes about from the emotions the purification of emotions brings clarification of thought most people's emotions are so um, embedded and imbued with the desire that the clarification of thought doesn't come, and that's why we have all these absurd ideas. And then they, they don't work, these absurd ideas, which they can't, because they're not the law of nature, then our emotions get even worse, because we get angry that we don't get the way that we had figured it out. So it, it becomes worse and worse. But what the Buddha is trying to do is show us a way to cut right through all this to cut right through all this complete um, elaboration and uh, this um, proliferation of the mind where we make up ideas which can never work and just cut right through and see what's actually happening movement is happening that's for sure it's happening there's no proliferation and no elaboration in the mind. It's happening. Of course, mindfulness keeps us in this moment. And most people have thoughts about the future and the past, which was mentioned earlier, the memory of the household life and the intention for oh, how it was uh, worded anymore intention for the future. So this is what this is what we have and so because of that we're not in the in this moment. Now mindfulness brings us to this moment. If we do this, we'll eventually find out that there is nothing else except this moment. This one moment. Everything else is fantasy. So we constantly live in this fantasy world of how things are going to be when and if whatever the whens and the ifs are and how things used to be when it was still like this or like that most people have a lot of future because they don't like the present so they'll fix up a future in their mind how it could be when and if and this when and if doesn't work naturally and the future doesn't even exist so mindfulness is the only thing which brings us into this moment and if we don't practice it we can forget about the whole of the practice the whole thing is useless because this is the only thing that brings us to this moment and in this moment is the only moment we can meditate And this moment is the only moment we can live. We can't live in the past, obviously, it's all gone, and we can't live in the future because it never comes. When it comes, it's called the present. So if we live in the future with our ideas, when this is going to happen and if that will happen, and when this is going to work out all right, and if this person, and if that uh, situation, or if that experience useless it doesn't happen it's a complete fantasy it's uh, like uh, living in a dream world we live already in a dream world and then in this dream world we make up another dream some people actually dream that they're dreaming I mean at night this is what we're doing in the daytime we dream that we're dreaming it's a... a, uh, living in the future is a dream and since we are already living in a dream it's a double dream mindfulness is the only thing that brings us to the present so this is one of its great advantages and obviously the Buddha says that through it we can realize any phenomena to which we incline the mind whenever there is opportunity now, realizing any phenomena through direct knowledge to which we incline the mind, that we can see within anything that exists anicca dukha Now, there is nothing in the world that does not proclaim anicca dukha I've said that so often, I'm sure you must remember those three words. So, there is everything, including ourselves, That's the Dhamma. That's all there is. And when we can see that in everything where we incline our mind to. Now, obviously, sometimes we incline the mind to other things. There are other things that need to be done. One has to go to sleep, one has to go to the toilet, one has to get washed, one has to do this, has to do that. But when the mind is inclined, when it has an opportunity to look at what is happening around one and within one, those are the Dhamma is we see. P- Suppose there were a water pot full of water brimming so that crows could drink out of it standing on a stand. Then as soon as a strong man tipped it would water come from it each time? Yes, venerable sir. So too, when anyone has developed and repeatedly practiced mindfulness of the body he attains the ability to be a witness through realization by direct knowledge of any Dhamma realizable by direct knowledge to which he inclines his mind whenever there is opportunity now here we have again inclining the mind inclining the mind the Buddha was asked once whether he was omniscient he said no and uh, the other person one of these wanderers, I forgot his name uh, asked him well if he was a Buddha why wasn't he omniscient and he said he knows where he puts his mind, that he knows. But it's impossible to know everything at once. So to know everything at once is a total impossibility. And would, if anybody were trying to work that out in their mind, would create havoc in the mind. So. One inclines the mind to whatever one wants to know, and then they, whenever there's such an opportunity, this direct knowledge, meaning arahanship, meaning full full realization, also means that one can incline one's mind towards things which are not common uh, usage. And not common usage means that there are um, abilities of the mind which an ordinary person wouldn't have. So again, he gives another he gives another simile. Suppose there were a square pond on a level piece of ground, surrounded by an embankment full of water, brimming so that crows could drink out of it. As soon as a strong man loosens the embankment would water come from it each time? Yes, venerable sir. And again he gives the same, says the same thing. Suppose there were a chariot on even ground at the four crossroads, harnessed to thoroughbreds, waiting with whips lying ready so that a skilled trainer, a driver of horses to be tamed, might mount and taking the reins in his hand, drive out and back by any road in any way he liked, So, too, when anyone has developed and repeatedly practiced mindfulness of the body, he attains the ability to be a witness through realization by direct knowledge of any Dhamma, realizable by direct knowledge to which he inclines his mind whenever there is opportunity. When mindfulness of the body is developed, repeatedly practiced, made the vehicle, made the basis, established, consolidated, and properly undertaken, these rewards may be expected. Now, made the vehicle, that's a very common expression, that one uses some part of the practice as one's vehicle. If one can't make up one's mind which part, one can forget the practice. One's got to be one-pointed if one is using, um, of course, all the instructions but one aspect of the practice, uh, of the teaching has to be one's personal practice now, mindfulness has to be everybody's practice, obviously but one can, from those four foundations of mindfulness choose the one that one is most inclined towards and. The Buddha again and again recommended mindfulness of the body and it is by far the most um, peace-producing because one can hardly blame oneself for taking a step when one can easily blame one- oneself for thinking nasty thoughts so it's much more peace-producing to be mindful of the body and anyone, anyone at all, under any circumstances, uses a body. It can be seen, it can be touched, it's so easy that it's much easier than the other, than the other foundations. Obviously, sometimes it's not appropriate, one has to use the other. But this can be made one's primary vehicle, and particularly in a retreat if one doesn't watch one's steps in a retreat time one's never going to watch them it's impossible because out there in the world there's no nobody reminding one and besides things are happening all the time so that one doesn't have the inclination for that or even not the opportunity for that make the basis established consolidated and properly, properly undertaken so it has to be properly undertaken which means as much of the time as one could possibly remember now the one couldn't find any more uh, recommendation than this one of the things that one has to think of in the practice is that one needs a pathway and this pathway there are many instructions and of course they always include meditation but the pathway has to be used in daily life outside of meditation if one doesn't practice in daily life the whole meditation practice is for nothing because if one doesn't change through the practice and quite markedly so one have had knee pains and veins for what? I mean what for? Why Why sit there? it's an absurdity, you know and if one doesn't get any knee pains one spends one time uh, uselessly one has to change from this and that only way that one will change from this is if one is consistent and this consistency Needs one particular understanding also. There are three characteristics of the universe Anicca, Dukkha, Natta, impermanence, Dukkha, and substancelessness, corelessness. Now we should pick one of those and consistently investigate them. Not just once, not just twice consistently until one day one feels to be that the where the mind inclines that's where it gains its understanding as long as the mind stays on the worldly affairs it's always going to be a worldly mind and meditation is in vain. meditation has no place in, a, in the worldly life it's then only like having a little extra um, thing happening like a hobby this is not a hobby meditation is a means a means for direct knowledge, for realization so, mindfulness of the body is highly recommended by the Buddha and definitely the one that is the most peaceful one of the four foundations and the easiest one to practice because it's so easy that's why it's always forgotten it's it's an easy one to practice and it's always forgotten and yet when one practices it one feels very much um, One feels the not not only secure, one feels quite um, confident because one knows one's practicing. Now the first reward that one can expect from this, one becomes the conqueror of aversion and delight. And aversion does not conquer such a person. person and one abides transcending aversion as it arises now one becomes a conqueror of aversion and delight and aversion does not conquer one and one abides transcending aversion as it arises now aversion is just another better sounding word for hate dislike rejection resistance all those things which are negative and delight is another word for greed for all those things that arise in the mind that one wants for so one conquers that and aversion does not conquer one and one abides transcending aversion as it arises now when a, by the same token one as aversion arises by the same token uh, greed yes. arises it's hate and greed the whole thing is about hate and greed just the translator has changed his translation that's all uh, the same way with the temptation as I said already if uh, <coughs> desire arises the um, because the mindfulness has been established and well consolidated and the, therefore the mind has become strong therefore it's possible to transcend that desire or the aversion as it arises without getting caught in it it arises and one drops it and it arises again and one drops it the more often one has dropped it the less it arises because it doesn't have the same power anymore This um, the dislike and the um, the hate and the hurts and all those things that people have making their life so difficult seem to have reality and some people hang on to that for dear life To so all that kind of dukkha they just love it because it supports the ego illusion at least they know they're there They have such a terrible time. I am having such a dreadful time. Look at me. So it makes one's ego a little bit bigger because one has all these dreadful problems. People really hang on to those things. One could so easily drop them. So if something arises, one drops it one does not have to hang on to it why do people hang on to it? the only reason that's possible is because it makes one feel as if one is somebody important one can be somebody important when one is famous and if not everybody can't be famous so one has specially many problems so one is a little more important must be that can't be anything else of course the person who's doing that's not aware of that otherwise they wouldn't do it. This is our lack of mindfulness. So when we are uh, when we are mindful and habitually mindful, then when something unpleasant arises, we can let go of it and eventually of course, through the realization of direct knowledge, that stuff doesn't arise. Well, that's the very first reward. Well, if nothing else, I think that's already enough. If one can conquer hate and greed, I don't think one has to go any further because that's all really that, are, that bothers people constantly. And the greed seems to promise so one such wonderful results, the desire. There seems to be a, a promise in the air that this is really going to do something for me now. I'm going to get it to you know be marvelous, and then of course it doesn't, and then the hate arises from that because the result has not been what one has wanted it to be, and so one is in a real uh, bind. It's a constant merry-go-round. One wants something that promises satisfaction, and then one gets it, and then. One doesn't get satisfaction, and then one hates it. So, then one wants something else. If one could see that, that one is doing that, one would never do it. Only mindfulness makes one see what one is doing. And mindfulness of the body is quite adequate for that because when one is mindful one can't have hate or greed it's impossible I mean you can't do both things at the same time that's the only relief there is for this um, unruly mind that it can only do one thing at a time so we have this as a reward now the next reward is one becomes a conqueror of fear and dread Fear and dread do not conquer such a person Abide transcending fear and dread as they arise. Well, again, if there is mindfulness of the body, obviously there can't be fear at the same time. But also the self-confidence which arises from all this takes away the fear. There's first of all self-confidence that one is not dependent upon the goodwill of others. If they have goodwill, that's very nice for them. They make good karma when they have goodwill. And if they haven't got goodwill, well, that's their problem, isn't it? They make bad karma. So, fear of the threat that others pose, and this is something that's so common that people have this feel, feeling of being threatened by other people and because other people, many, I mean, most people have, practically everybody has hate, so they feel threatened by that. It's also because of mindfulness that also goes. But also the self-confidence which arises from the practice and the mindfulness which uh, occupies the mind, mind is full, and the self-confidence from the practice show one quite clearly that within all of this universe there isn't anything that wants to annihilate oneself because everything else consists of exactly the same bits and pieces that we do and the fear that, ha- that people have and the dread, it's the same thing, fear and dread um, is the fear of annihilation which doesn't necessarily mean physical annihilation which of course is is guaranteed I mean physical annihilation is guaranteed everybody can have a written guarantee if they haven't believed it yet but it is also the fear of this emotional annihilation and the uh, non-support system which those people certainly that are not uh, loving and uh, praising one do not give one, they do not give one a a support system so there's this fear of that annihilation but as soon as one has become mindful and has been able to see the dhammas, the phenomena, the way they really are one sees that oneself is exactly the same as everything else So there's nothing to be afraid of nothing annihilates nothing because there's nothing there to annihilate anybody and this whole mistaken view of the way the world is comes from non-mindfulness that's a, the that's a second uh, uh, reward one becomes one who can bear cold and heat, hunger and thirst contact with mosquitoes flies, wind, sun and creeping things endures ill-spoken, unwelcome words and arisen bodily feelings that are painful, wacking, sharp, piercing, disagreeable, distressing, and menacing to life. So, they're actually uh, life threatening, um, painful feelings can also be taken in one's stride if mindfulness has become so established that it one is only a witness. There's only a witness to the feeling. There's nobody there actually. see, now this presupposes that one has finally seen the truth of the matter, that there's nobody there, that these are all phenomena. And this practice, that has to come one day. If one doesn't um, practice, of course it doesn't come, I mean, there's no hope for that. But with practice, it is, it is more or less guaranteed by the Buddha that one finally sees the truth. One can't help it. It's got to be seen. And only if one sees the truth is it possible then of course to have this that there is that even life-threatening, painful feelings are taken in one's stride and um, here one is you spoken unwelcome words, and all the other unpleasant things which are mentioned because of the fact that the direct knowledge, the realization of direct knowledge means that one has seen that this is only a phenomenon. So that only then this is possible. So this is the the, uh, third um, reward and it does presuppose that one has had uh, realization of the non-self the substancelessness of all that there is one becomes one who obtains that will with no trouble and easily the four jhanas which are the higher mind and provide a present abiding here and now so they are not the um, they are not a um, super mundane state all the jhanas are a present abiding here and now all eight of them here there's only four mentioned but all eight of them are the pleasant abiding here and now and they are um, worldly worldly states but they are necessary in order to make the mind pliable and uh, expandable and um, malleable so that it can see something entirely different from what the world sees and for a person who has been mindful all day long can obtain at will with no trouble and easily the four jhanas, which are the higher mind they are a higher state of mind obviously the higher level of consciousness but they provide a pleasant abiding here and now and then there are some things mentioned which are f- useful for a fully enlightened one and otherwise shunned by the Buddha for anyone who isn't fully enlightened because they give an idea of um, of having attained the, the highest so if one isn't enlightened one shouldn't do that they are supernormal powers they are clear audience and Clairvoyance and um, recollection of past lives. Yes, and then, of course, by realization with direct knowledge here and now, one enters upon and abides in the deliverance of the heart and the deliverance by understanding of the mind that are taint free with exhaustion of the taint. Now, by realization with direct knowledge here and now now we've already heard that that there is realization of this direct knowledge here and now having practiced mindfulness repeatedly and developed it then there is realization of direct knowledge here and now of any Dhamma now here it's repeated and what is said is that this is the deliverance of the heart and the deliverance by understanding what is meant by those two deliverances Chatavimuti is the pathway through the jhanas and through the loving kindness that brings the realization of the, um, of all phenomena. Panyavimuti is the pathway through insight which will eventually also result in at least one, two or three jhanas and is called the, the well, deliverance by insight or by understanding and has as its um, first step the the inside part and then the um, the meeting of the two at the apex is completely the same because the heart has to be delivered and the mind has to be de- delivered taint free with exhaustion of taint so whatever way one is going it has to amount to the same thing in the end because to be with the exhaustion to have the exhaustion of one's taint means completely uh, complete arahanship and the taints. I think we've had them already I'll repeat them the uh, desire for sensual gratification the wrong view, wrong view of self the uh, desire for eternal life like getting a chair in paradise or something like that and uh, the, uh, and ignorance now ignorance means ignoring the fact that there is nobody there that we, we think we are somebody very often there's only three mentioned Ignorance, sensual desire, and desire for eternal life—the wrong view is not mentioned. Wrong view is eliminated at stream entry, and desire for eternal life is eliminated by the non-returner, and the other two are only eliminated by the arahant. So, exhaustion of taints, complete letting go of taints, is only for the arahant. On the way there, one gets rid of a few uh, of two on the way. Now the taints are called that, in Pali they are asavas, asavas um, they, are, they are that what taints our understanding. We don't understand the things, the way things are, because we have those things within us. They're sitting inside, so we don't know what's going on really. The more we become mindful, the less we are concerned with those things. You see, mindfulness takes the mind away from everything else, because it is full. And if we can't, um, if we are mindful, we can't possibly have any the, um, connection to essential desires. Now, of course, it can arise a minute later or a second later or a tenth, a tenth of a second later. But while the mindfulness is there, it cannot arise. And we also cannot have a desire for eternal life. I mean, either we're li- mindful or we have desire for eternal life or for whatever we've figured out we'd like to have, utopia or something, or whatever it is we're looking for. And it's impossible. We can't have those together so mindfulness of the body which is not um, difficult and can become habitual is the saving grace that we can use all the time and in all situations not just in a retreat but if we don't learn it here in the retreat we'll never learn it because out there one can't learn it one has to have it one has to have it already under one's belt, so to say, uh, when one gets out there because out there there's a lot of um, activity and it, it takes the mind off again so the um, exhaustion of the of the tins all of this, the whole thing, comes about through mindfulness of the body now he enters upon and abides in so now entering upon is having the Nibbani moment the past moment, and abiding in means that one stays that way and the one who has become enlightened doesn't ever have to uh, have any of these things happen again there's no fear, no dread, no aversion, nothing none of those things ever happen again so obviously it's the only thing that's worth working for, isn't it? When mindfulness of the body is developed, repeatedly practiced, made the vehicle, made the basis, established, consolidated, and properly undertaken, these rewards may be expected. This is what the Blessed One said. The bhikkhus were satisfied and delighted in the Blessed One's words. Yes, it's quite delightful, isn't it, that there is such a way by just watching one's body. Isn't it simple? All right. That's the end of this Sutta. Any, anything, any questions? Now is the time to ask them. well just, just know that you, you have to do it or no do do no it? no doing it here every day uh, as much of the time as you can remember because it is becomes a habitual um, a habitual way of the for the mind to direct itself you see that eventually every movement that the body makes the hand movement, the foot movement, the mind registers it. And as it registers it, it doesn't have any disturbance. It doesn't get disturbed because that's what it registers. It doesn't have to think. It's the most wonderful thing for thinkers. One gets rid of the thinking. And it's also a wonderful thing for worriers. And it's a wonderful thing for um, people who feel under it. You know, victims. Being victimized. I mean, they're all doing it to themselves, but they think that somebody else is doing it. Mindfulness just takes care of everything. So getting it under your belt means that while you're here, you're watching your movements. Getting up, walking down the steps, Turning on the light, lifting the latch, sh- the, the door handle, opening the door, closing the door, putting on shoes, walking this way, and so on and so forth. And the more, of course, sorry Yeah. So yeah. yeah. And then in in the world, you will find that uh, you forget, of course. But all of a sudden, the mind will say, "Hey, I forgot something. What was that again? Oh yes, mindfulness. That's right." So it's not the knowing of it. You know, the knowing of it is um, almost useless. Because what we know and what we do is so different. It's not totally useless, the knowing of it, but it's a habit of the mind that is so important. Is um, it helpful when you get to the stage that um, you realize... Where it's just mindfulness for its own sake. Hmm. Then, then it comes to a point where you can see the positive effects of you, like, So getting to the habitual stage Um When it's become habitual, you don't even worry about the, the effects anymore. I mean, you just do it. You're used to the effects by that time. You know, you're no longer a thinker, you're no longer a worryer, you're no longer a victim, you're no longer any of this, you're just watching what's going on there. You don't think about it anymore. In the beginning stages, uh, it's very helpful to check back on the good effects in order to encourage the mind to keep on doing it. Once it becomes habitual, you don't have to encourage the mind anymore, it's doing it anyway. I mean, you don't have to think every time you go and clean your teeth what the good effects of it is, do you? I mean, it's pretty habitual, isn't it, to clean one's teeth? I mean, you just do it. But when, you, when, when, we, when we were small, uh, we didn't like to do it. Our mothers had to push us. And so now it's a habit. So in, when it's a habit, then you no longer have to think about it. So, you have to, this is why you need to start here with it, so that you can bring as much of it to the world with you as you can. Okay? Okay. Anything else? Um, Yes. You described mindfulness as um, as, illuminating thoughts becoming imprint on the brain. I am sitting. I am walking. Uh, that description doesn't uh, make much sense, does it? Well, because there are four foundations of mindfulness, and one is body, one is feeling, one is mental emotional states, and one is content of mind. So if that if that I am sitting, if that's a thought, that would then be content of mind. That would be the fourth foundation of mindfulness, and not the first one, not the body one. It doesn't make much sense. The whole thing. It's knowing what one is doing. Knowing only. You can describe mindfulness as knowing only. Yes. Well, there's no need to verbalize. Besides, there are so many movements. If you verbalize every one of them, you'd never get to the end of the, the stairway. There's far too many movements. No, there's no need to verbalize anything as long as you know it. You you rest you you know it. It's uh it's not a not a sentence. It's knowing. It yeah, might mean the noting. Yeah, probably, but uh, that that is also not a verbalization the noting. No, they don't say a sentence like that. No. No, they don't say a sentence like that. No, No, it's not necessary to say any sentence like that at all, because that takes one away from what one's actually doing again. You know? It is. uh, If you were to watch your breath and you kept saying, I'm breathing, I'm breathing, I'm breathing, I mean, you'd go nuts. (laughs) It's impossible to do that. You just know. Hmm? You're with it. That's all. You're with what is really happening. It's very simple, mindfulness. It's not not complicated at all. It's just being there with it. Cutting cutting a, a, a carrot. Cutting a carrot. Cutting. Going down the steps, going, going, down, down. very simple. It's such a simple thing that, of course, it um, uh, it would people don't even think of it themselves. It's just too simple. And actually, it, as the Buddha says, it brings one all the way to enlightenment. Marvelous, isn't it? Okay, anything else? Quite clear, huh? Please put the attention on the breath. Think of yourself as your own best friend. Arouse the feelings for yourself that a best friend would have helpfulness, acceptance, care, and concern, and wisdom to know. What brings happiness? Friendship feelings Loving feelings Fill yourself with them knowing that you yourself are responsible for your own happiness and have to be your own best friend of yourself as the best friend of the person sitting nearest you helpful accepting, caring and concerned loving full of friendship fill him or her with those feelings Think of yourself as the best friend of everyone here Fill everyone with your feelings of friendship, lovingness, helpfulness and acceptance Think of yourself as the best friend of your parents. Fill them with your friendship, your love, your care and concern. Make that heart connection. now be the best friend of those who are nearest and dearest to you give them your friendship your acceptance your care your helpfulness your lovingness without expecting anything in return Think of your friends, be their best friend Give them all that your heart can give without wanting the same in return Embrace them with your friendship Fill them with your acceptance and your love of all those people who are part of your life those you work with those you meet here and there neighbors people in shops and offices be their best friend Embrace them with your care and acceptance Fill them with your friendship and love Let them enter into your heart Where they belong of anyone whom you find difficult to deal with anyone who has put obstacles in your way for whom you just consider not lovable be that person's best friend helpful and caring accepting and loving. Think of all those people whose lives are far more difficult than ours in hospitals, in prison, refugee camps, crippled, blind, hungry, without shelter, without friends. Be their best friend. Embrace them with your Love and friendship Decide to help them To care for them Let them be in your heart Where every creature belongs your attention back on yourself feel the joy of friendship the peacefulness of being connected the strength that caring brings Recognize your friendship for yourself. yourself and surround yourself with the feelings of a best friend who knows what is best for you. may our beings be friends with each other